my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and you can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discovery.com slash credit card. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is a reflection of just the overall low level of engagement that you know, most of us have uh, when it comes to what's happening in our own backyards. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. We can all probably name a big, flashy national political leader who successfully amassed a lot of political power in the United States' federal government. His name starts with a Donald and ends with a Trump. But what about the extremist power grabs happening in our own backyards? Right-wing extremists have been quietly and successfully building power at the local level, zeroing in on institutions like local school boards and small towns. And while many of us are paying attention to national issues, it's happening right under our noses. 
I am the host of Bedrock USA, which is a new podcast from Bloomberg City Lab and iHeartRadio. And I'm also a reporter on staff at uh, Bloomberg City Lab. In her podcast, Bedrock USA, reporter Laura Bliss uncovers how the far right is making inroads in local government. So how did you become someone who covers the way that things like extremist ideology and conspiracy theories can really impact small town life? Yeah, so I came into this from a somewhat sideways path. Uh, I have been covering cities and kind of local communities for most of my journalism career. Uh, And so because I report on that local level and on issues like housing and transportation and kind of, you know, local policy issues, I really couldn't ignore the way things like QAnon and other forms of kind of anti-democratic rhetoric were starting to creep into my beat. Um, and, and this became especially true, you know, during the pandemic, and I think really became hard to ignore, if possible ignore, to ignore after January 6th um, and the Capitol insurrection. Uh, I think we've all seen this at this point, this explosion in stories about school board battles, you know, waged by QAnon believers, oath keepers running for city councils, uh, and, and kind of the bread and butter issues that local governments work on, you know, stuff like the, you know, uh, development proposals for new housing projects or light rail stations, like even, even issues like these um, started to become, in, in not every case, but, but in a sort of surprising number uh, of communities I was reporting in, kind of tinged by our just hyper-partisan and kind of an ex- increasingly extreme political environment. Um, and so this podcast, Bedrock USA, which is really about how you know, far-right ideologies are reshaping local governments and kind of what local communities are doing about it, really came out of that. <laughs> um, but I'll also add, too, that I think it's just really fascinating to look at the local level or, or to sort of use the local level as a lens into the broader issues that you're talking about. Because, you know, when you are reporting in a small town, I mean, you're, you're talking to people who are literally neighbors with each other. Um, you know, and if, and if you're kind of like a anti-government conspiracy theorist in a small town and, you know, you just profoundly you know, mistrust the person who is on your city council or you're, you know, railing against a school board member, I mean, that can mean going against your own neighbor or, or just sort of believing that your own neighbor is fundamentally you know, unworthy of your trust. Um, and so that just provides some really interesting kind of human drama that I am attracted to as a reporter and I guess someone who likes to tell stories. Um, and finally, too, I mean, this kind of like hyper-partisanship that we're talking about and, you know, ideologies that are infused with misinformation and conspiracy theories uh, it's just really a sharp contrast with the way local government theoretically is supposed to work. Normally, we think of local government as the you know, institution that takes care of our least partisan issues, right? I mean, these are supposed to be the people working on keeping our streets paved and making sure the trash gets picked up and you know, just the sort of bread and butter issues that you think would be immune to, uh, you know, ideologies like QAnon. 
And so just all of these kind of uh, dynamics at play just really drew me into this story. Think about the mundane, everyday issues that come up in your community, where the bus stops are, how schools are funded, what resources are available for what. Now imagine that a well-organized coalition of extremists could hijack the conversation around those issues and stymie any meaningful progress on them. While reporting for Bedrock USA, Laura found that the issues that you might have once thought about as not really that polarizing would become hotbeds of extremist conspiracy theory. Yeah, I'm wondering, in your reporting, have you seen that we're reaching a place where these resources and these things in local government that you would think of as being nonpartisan are just also deeply politicized? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's really one of the most interesting things about reporting on these issues in a local kind of government context is that we're seeing issues that are traditionally not partisan at all or at least not partisan in the kind of traditional left versus right sense, really become politically charged by politicians or political groups and taking on, you know, really kind of high political stakes uh, in, in ways that we might not previously expect. And so, like, for example, one of the stories that we reported on in the Bedrock USA podcast, um, which I really hope people listening to this show check out, um, is a story of how a proposal to build an opioid addiction treatment clinic in a small town called Squim, which is in Washington state, really drove the town apart uh, into two camps. One side was opposed and the other side was more supportive. And, you know, it's not totally unexpected that something like an opioid addiction treatment clinic would be controversial or have supporters or opponents. But what was really unusual is that, especially after the pandemic hit, uh, one Facebook group in particular, it was against the clinic, very quickly aligned itself in support of various far-right ideologies around stuff like masking and vaccines, uh, as well as lies around the 2020 election results. Um, and so I think what's so fascinating and scary about that dynamic is that it, it not only reflects kind of a broader political landscape where everything is partisan, everything is kind of a left versus right, you know, cultural issue, but also that this particular local opposition group on Facebook actually became a pathway for radicalizing some people. There were people in this town who were initially drawn into this group to discuss the local clinic issue and discuss, you know, why they were so opposed to it. But then by virtue of being in this online space, were exposed to more kind of radical ideas. Um, and I'm not just talking about masking and vaccines, and that's definitely worthy of, you know, our, our conversation. But, you know, by 2021, I was looking at this Facebook group and seeing people, you know, post in support of stuff like, or, or posting in support of sovereign citizen groups, uh, which sovereign citizen, it's kind of a ideology that, falsely promotes the idea that people living in the United States can be exempt from U.S. law. Uh, and, and this is kind of a movement that's been linked over many decades to numerous acts of political violence. You know, you mentioned that someone being opposed to an opioid treatment clinic in their small town, that's not terribly surprising. I can imagine that somebody having that kind of response. But then on an online platform like Facebook, that kind of gets mixed in with anti-mask stuff, you know, maybe QAnon stuff, election-denying stuff. I guess my question would be, 
how do these things all get kind of wrapped up? You would think that these things would be very disparate, but they all sort of travel in circles. And so like any one conspiracy theory kind of comes along with multiple harmful conspiracy theories, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I think a big uh, just part of the the dynamic you're you kind of asking about is, you know, just boils down to the people who are posting, right? I mean, we saw in, in this particular example in Squim, Washington, this this opposition group was was led by a woman who had actually tried to run for a you know, state legislator position previously, uh, and and she and she was you know Republican and. And sort of carried what what became you know increasingly pretty extreme views on, on stuff like masking and, and vaccines, uh, and and also the twenty twenty election. And so her, as well as others in the group, you know, used that space as a forum to post about these other topics and post misinformation and you know links to YouTube videos that spread lies about stuff like the twenty twenty election or Anthony Fauci and you know these kinds of uh, hot button, you know, topics that became you know, major drivers of of misinformation and, and and including QAnon, right, which we're seeing, you know, has not died. Uh, we've just seen in the last couple of weeks, you know, Donald Trump increasingly uh, embracing, you know, QAnon slogans and kind of QAnon related memes, um, even as the number of really disturbing acts of violence linked to QAnon are also going up. Um, so anyways, to, to answer your question directly, I think it really mostly boils down to, you know, just the, the sort of Venn diagram of people in these kinds of forums. You're going to have people who are already sort of holding more extreme views and already are kind of linked to these, uh, you know, networks uh, related to conspiracy theories and sort of misinformation networks. And then they're just exposing uh, a wider uh, kind of group of people to those ideas who, who may have entered that space for different reasons to begin with, right? Um, yeah, actually, I, I talked to one researcher who had studied this particular Facebook group that I'm talking about, Squim Washington, and he was actually able to find an example of, of one Facebook, or of one group member, I should say, who, you know, literally moved from, you know, in the time before she joined this Facebook group, from being like a Bernie Sanders supporter to, you know, posting in support of the sovereign citizen movement, which is this very far right uh, kind of ideological movement, like I mentioned, um, that promotes this very dangerous and false idea that, that you know, you can, you can, you can be sort of exempt from U.S. law um, if, if you apply for this basically <laughs> fake set of, of documents. Um, again, and this is something that's also been linked to, to actual political violence so, so this is a so it's just a, a really scary example of how local issues, uh, you know, that traditionally were sort of outside this uh, normal partisan dynamic, uh, are now becoming avenues for, you know, radicalization. The normal avenues of talking about what's happening in your community become open, like they're being exploited and manipulated in a way that like, you can't even have the conversation about your school board or your potholes or your garbage because those conversations are being so easily manipulated by bad actors. 
Yeah, and I think actually that touches on a really important point and, and another, I think, important <laughs> or another reason that paying attention to these kind of like local forums is so important, which is that normally we don't pay attention to them, right? Like local government is the level of government that on average, you know, we know sort of least about, which is ironic because in some ways it has the most direct impact. Like we all care if our trash gets picked up, you know, we all care about the potholes on our roads and our local school systems. But, you know, we just sort of take for granted that those things are just going to happen on their own. And so we tend to pay a lot more attention to, you know, national politics or even sort of our state level, you know, political issues than we do to, to what's happening in our city council meetings and school board meetings, you know, until now, <laughs> because these issues are becoming so much more uh, kind of inflamed and, 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 and extreme. Um, but, I, but I think you sort of hit on an important point, which is that, you know, folks who are exploiting, as you say, uh, that level of ignorance, you know, <laughs> in which most of us exist around our local government, uh, you know, people are aware of that. And so they're, they're you know, getting into these beatings where there isn't necessarily a lot of scrutiny or a lot of awareness in the general public and, and you know, <laughs> taking advantage. Let's take a quick break. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment, whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. 
No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. It's easy to stay read in on issues at the federal level. You know, who's running for president and what they stand for. But if we're being real, I'd be willing to bet that a lot fewer of us are as dialed in to issues happening at the local level. And we probably should be, because from county clerk's offices to school boards, these issues can really have a profound impact on our day-to-day lives. Laura says that extremists exploit our tendency to not always be so invested in local politics. And when we aren't paying close attention, they can swoop in and take over. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was excited to talk to you about next. Sort of, can you describe what you've seen in your reporting about how folks are, have been able to really amass political power at the local level, really in kind of a sleeper way? Before you know it, you're like, oh, folks have really done a, done a successful power grab of our local government. Absolutely. So Bedrock USA really tells the story of two communities in particular. One of them I've already mentioned, it's it's Squibb, Washington. And the other is Shasta County, California, uh, where the story is really ongoing, but uh, played out in a pretty dramatic fashion, especially last year in 2021. And Shasta County is a uh, very conservative pocket in Northern California. It's a few hours north of, of Sacramento. Um, it's always been, you know, a pretty, pretty deep red bastion. Uh, but during the pandemic, we really saw how, uh, you know, folks on the f- further right end of the spectrum really took advantage of some of the dynamics we've been talking about. You know, just the fact that people don't normally show up to their, you know, uh, county board of supervisors meetings to, to sort of hear what's going on. But some people with pretty extreme political views did. Um, and so just to sort of illustrate that a little bit more, uh, a group of uh, far right sort of ideologically aligned folks, including militia leaders, uh, you know, state of Jefferson supporters, state of Jefferson is a, a movement to uh, have a chunk of California and a chunk of Oregon basically secede. It's a kind of, conservative secession fantasy movement, uh, you know, as well as anti-maskers and just kind of all, all around disaffected, you know, conservatives who, who were sort of radicalized by the pandemic, 
all of these folks band together you know, during COVID to uh, recall a conservative uh, Shasta County supervisor. And so the you know, county supervisors in Shasta, it's, it's basically a city council, but at the county level. And by successfully recalling this person, which they did, uh, and, and install kind of one of their own, they were actually able to shift the balance of power in this conservative county so that now, you know, the board is controlled by a majority of, of pretty far-right individuals uh, and, you know, who have done things like, you know, early and earlier this year, you know, repeal the local uh, state of emergency uh, around the pandemic and, uh, insist that you know county board meetings be cons- conducted uh, in in person rather than taking place over Zoom to to you know mitigate uh, you know pandemic risk uh, and also you know more worryingly fire the county uh, public health director excuse me the county public health officer and and there's actually been this sort of alarming exodus of very high profile you know county officials who oversee the Department of Health and, and the, the uh, county CEO, I believe. But there's been this really kind of worrying exodus of, of, of high-ranking, you know, county officials who are experts in their field, you know, and who really are responsible for just keeping this level of government running in the kind of like day-to-day functioning way that, you know, most of us would expect. And so um, this is a movement that's really alarmed quite a number of residents in Shasta County, but it, again, in some ways, as you've been saying, like it is a reflection of just the overall low level of engagement that you know most of us have uh, when it comes to what's happening in our own backyards. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you're spotlighting this because I do think that it's just really easy to get super fired up about who's in the White House, who's in the Senate, who's in Congress, and. I mean, I think we're all, I'm guilty of it. I just think it's like very easy to focus on these bigger conversations and elections and races and really overlook what's happening on your own block and your own neighborhood and on your own street. And so like, one, I'm really glad that you're spotlighting that because it is really important. And I guess my second question would be, you know, should should we take the reporting that you've seen in Bedrock USA as kind of a wake up call as to why it's so critically important that we stay engaged and checked in at the local level as well as the national and federal level? Absolutely. I mean, I, I hope that is one of the, the sort of take home messages. Um, and, you know, and, and I will say that, you know, local officials who are you know working in some of these communities where we reported would even say that, you know, Silver lining might be too too optimistic of a of a phrase, but you know that that they are glad you know that there is more attention being paid to the work that they do, you know, as a result of these movements that are you know otherwise extremely harmful, right? I mean, these are these are movements again that are fueled by misinformation about stuff like, uh, you know, from conspiracy theories like QAnon to to election denialism and and other just sort of misinformation systems. Um, but but that they are glad that, you know, people are showing up to, let's say, the elections office in Shasta County. My, my producer and I uh, were there in Shasta County uh, in June to report on the uh, primary election that took place there. And, and there was a group of 
of folks, you know, who were associated with the, the recall movement and who, who held pretty, pretty far right views taking issue with the results of the election. And that is extremely damaging. Uh, and at the same time, it meant that the, you know, county elections office had you know, more people paying attention to the way the system runs. Um, I think what it really comes down to is the fact that, you know, we need more people who are paying attention in good faith, right, who are paying attention to the system and making sure things are going well, uh, you know, with with the belief that democracy should continue. Um, <laughs> because unfortunately, you know, many of these groups are are looking at what's happening with a, you know, pre, predetermined belief that what's happening cannot be trusted. And so, you know, all, all the observation in the world, you know, are, 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 are unlikely, is unlikely to, to sort of stem that, that disbelief, unfortunately. Uh, I really saw that deeply, just, just the profound, profound level of mistrust um, in some of these people who have imbibed the, the kind of election lies that were so prominent in 2020. Um, but, but anyways, this is all just to say, you know, we do need more people paying attention in good faith. Um, because if there's anything I learned from this podcast and, you know, going deep into the, uh, you know, halls of local government and the people who make these, you know, small bureaucracies work is that democracy really comes down to people. And it's about the trust that we place in each other. And on the local level, that, that literally comes down to trusting your neighbors and trusting the people you, you know, you go to the grocery store with and, and trusting the people you hand your ballot to. And, and we do need that trust to work. And we, we, we also need oversight and people paying attention to, to ensure that, you know, that trust is earned. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to ask you about that. What role, I mean, it sounds like mistrust and a lack of trust in general is really the thing that is the problem here, right? Like what role do you think that a lack of trust in our institutions has played in all of this? Oh, it's profound. I mean, it's definitely profound and it's, it's, it's not new <laughs> clearly. I mean, you know, mistrust in, in government, particularly at the, at the federal national level, you know, goes back, you know, decades, if not <laughs> to, to the founding of our country in some ways. Um, but we're, I think the, the sort of level of mistrust in local government is actually some, somewhat new because for the most part, you know, people tend to place more, more trust in the, in the sort of people and institutions that are closest to them. Um, and, and, but we are starting to see that really kind of degrade. And I think the pandemic you know, played a, a, a just a huge role in kind of accelerating this, this crisis of mistrust um, you know, because of how, uh, you know, our, our local leaders and state leaders and, and national leaders handled the crisis. And, and, and because of, you know, the way online platforms so readily, you know, spread and kind of supply misinformation and conspiracy theories to, to sort of give people, you know, alternate explanations for, for what was happening. Um, and that's a huge problem. And it's not just in government, it's also in science, it's also in media. And I don't see that profound mistrust going away. And, you know, this is a huge problem that every community needs to be confronting um, on some level. And so, you know, again, I, I'm kind of hopeful that <laughs> there, there are, you know, folks at every level who, who are, you know, trying to get engaged in that, in that kind of good faith way. Uh, but yeah, this is something we're going to just continue to see. 
More after a quick break. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment, whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. 
I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get right back into it. So I want to switch gears a little bit. You know, so much of what you have covered on the podcast has been pretty dark. But one of the sort of silver linings is that people didn't take this sitting down in these in these you know small communities. They actually organized to resist the takeovers of their communities by these extremist factions. Can you talk a bit about how they were able to do that? Absolutely. So yeah, the the community there is is Squim, Washington, and so this was where, uh, like we were talking about earlier, there was this opioid addiction treatment clinic that was proposed that really drove the town in two, and the opposition group became this kind of like forum for almost radicalization. Um, and and part of the story too is that you know while people were kind of asleep at the wheel, so to speak, or, or not paying a whole lot of attention to what was happening on their city council um, in this small town. A, uh, a guy was elected to city council and eventually became mayor uh, who was a professed supporter of QAnon um, at that time, who, who actually you know, was posting with the QAnon slogan, where we go when we go all on his Facebook page, and who eventually would go on the local radio station in the small town and, and kind of uh, advertise QAnon and, and encourage people to go, you know, look up YouTube videos that, that promoted this dangerous conspiracy theory. And so when that happened, uh, and, and kind of in uh, all around the same time as the big controversy around the clinic hit, you know, people really freaked out. <laughs> I mean, not everybody, right? Because the, the mayor did have the supporters for sure, particularly in this Facebook group. Um, but uh, there was a group of citizens in this community that came together and said, you know, this is where we draw the line, basically. Um, and so they sort of set their eye on the upcoming city council election. Uh, and they formed a group, which they called the Good Governance League, and it was a you know, bipartisan effort. There were folks on both sides of the political aisle involved, in- including other city council members, um, one of whom was a Republican. Um, and they campaigned together uh, to say, you know, we, <laughs> you know, the people of Squim, you know, care that our government runs on facts. They banded together and say, you know, what we care most about is that our city council runs on facts and that, you know, our city council members are not, that our city council members are paying attention to the issues that affect us and not to, you know, conspiracy theories that are prominent at the national level or, you know, to these kinds of national level political trends that are, that are reshaping our country. We really want, you know, our local leaders to focus on local issues. And so that was really the message they campaigned on and they endorsed. Uh, number of candidates for city council. And I have to say, they didn't really do anything particularly novel, right? I think what was so striking about this story is that, you know, they just deployed the tactics that organizers have been using for decades, you know, if not forever. They went door to door, they, you know, talked to their fellow neighbors about what was going on in their town. They just kind of spread awareness about, you know, what the mayor was all about and what he was saying. 
Uh, you know, they sent emails, they wrote postcards, just these kind of traditional methods, and uh, they were successful. And so I do think that that is a encouraging story about, you know, just pretty regular people, you know, drawing the line in the sand uh, around the way they wanted their government to work and kind of what that meant for their local democracy. And, and they did something about it. But I, and I do think that, you know, just looking at some of the tactics and methods they use, like, I, I think that could definitely be repeated in other communities. Well, yeah, I mean, that brings me to one of my last questions for you. Given all that you've reported on with Bedrock USA, are you hopeful for the state of democracy, for the state of politics and the way that decisions get made and progress gets made in small towns? Who am I hopeful? It's a it's a <laughs> it's a tough question. Uh, you know, I think I think we are in a really scary spot right now. I mean, we have a significant proportion of our voting public, you know, who still question the 2020 election results, uh, you know, who are likely to continue to question the results of elections moving forward based on beliefs that are just not rooted in fact, right? I mean, we saw this in 2020 we are seeing it in local elections moving forward, and, and we're, we're very likely to see it during midterms. Um, and that's really scary, you know, at the national level and also on the local level, because, again, like a lot of us just aren't paying attention. You know, local uh, media outlets have been drained of their resources to cover a lot of local elections. And so there just isn't going to be, you know, as much coverage as, as, as there should be of, you know, election deniers harassing election workers, for example, or, you know, pressuring uh, local officials to, you know, perform unnecessary investigations or, or even throw out election results, potentially. I mean, these are all things that, you know, <laughs> we saw play out it, it, to, to sort of different degrees in the 2020 election. I think we are going to continue to see that happen. And so, you know, where that leads, uh, when you have a populace that does not accept the results of a sound election is, I don't know if you can call it a democracy anymore, right? So, so that is really scary. Um, I, I think that, you know, based on my reporting, you know, where I put my <laughs> hope, I suppose, is, you know, in, in groups of people who do, you know, decide to come together around a common belief and even, you know, faith that the system can work and that it should work and that it can be better. Um and also just in some of the local officials I met who, you know, are continuing to do their jobs because they believe so wholeheartedly in that system that they're just continuing to do their jobs under really, really challenging circumstances, you know, in communities like Shasta County, where there are just a lot of people who do not trust the work that, you know, election workers do or some of the, you know, county officials uh, who, you know, run the health department, for example, um, and they're harassed, you know, and they're, they receive threats and they are you know, doing their jobs in the face of 
there's just really serious threats to the work that they do. Um, but but they're persevering. And you know, I'll say that this kind of environment is really discouraging to a lot of people who might otherwise consider that kind of work, but it's just it's so important. Um, they're they're literally keeping our our kind of system running. Um, so some of those folks give me give me hope, but I think the overall picture is is definitely scary. Oh, I mean, I find this time and time again. It's the people that make the only thing that gives me any hope in covering any of this is the people, like the people working together, coming together will always be more powerful than the dark forces I choose to believe. And so that's the only way I have any hope about any of this at all. Yep. Yep. I mean, and and I think it's kind of, it, it's like, it's obvious, but it's also kind of profound, right? I mean, as I kind of tried to sort of say this earlier and probably was pretty inarticulate, but like, that is really the, like, not so profound, but kind of profound <laughs> conclusion that came to in this whole reporting project. Project is just that, you know, we think of democracy as like this abstract institution, and you know, this this like hallowed set of processes and kind of rituals that is just supposed to happen, and 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 it, you know, democracy sounds like it's a building or something or like a like a physical structure, but. It's people. I mean, literally, it comes down to the people who are you know, counting the ballots and and running, you know, <laughs> polling locations and, you know, d- literally tabulating votes at the end of the day. Right. And, and of course, it's also the people who we elect to represent us. But it is people. It really does come down to people and, and, and whether you know, we can and do trust those that we have put in positions that that you know, ought to be worthy of our trust. But (laughs) I I completely agree with you. I think we have to be looking to each other because that's all we have. (laughs) That's all we have is one another to sort of make the system work. Laura, where can people find the podcast and keep up with all your work? Absolutely. So Bedrock USA is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, iHeartRadio. Um, or on Bloomberg.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ms. Laura Bliss. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.